I think, at least in my life, it's going to go down as, as one of my favorite days ever. Okay? And here's why. Michigan State won. Wait a minute. Michigan won. Right? Right? <clears throat> Alabama lost. But most of all, you know I'm wearing red and black. Georgia won. Now, why is that important to me? Well, I grew up 18 miles from Athens, Georgia, from the university. And from the smallest of a child <clears throat> until my teenage years, I found myself either listening to the radio every Saturday or in the stadium watching the games. Names that many of you here would never remember were people that I looked up to. Fran Tarkington, who was the quarterback at Georgia, a wonderful Christian man, used to come over and speak in our little town. And I wanted to be like Fran. You know, I wanted to be a great athlete like that. Basketball season, there was a, a young man playing at Kansas. <clears throat> he was seven feet, one inches tall. His name was Wilt Chamberlain. And I wanted to be like Wilt. Matter of fact, when I was in the sixth and seventh grade, we had a, a goal that we put at eight feet. I think I was instrumental in helping do that because I was six feet tall in that age group. So I was huge. I was Wilt because I could stuff it. You know, all I had to do is just reach up. Of course, that made it easy until it went to 10 feet. Then it made it a lot harder. But that was something I wanted. I wanted to be like Wilt. I wanted to be like Fran. I wanted to be Mickey Mantle. And don't look at me like that. Every one of you in here, <laughs> you have somebody that you looked at when you were growing up, somebody that you wanted to be like. You wanted to compare your life to theirs. Well, let me tell you, it didn't work out. I, I, I never made it <clears throat> at that level anywhere near it because I was doing something and God knew I was doing it that wasn't biblical. I was wanting to validate my life based on someone else's life. I wanted to be like them and then compare my life to theirs and say, look, I'm as good as. Probably 20 years ago, you remember Michael Jordan. What was the phrase? I want to be like Mike. Everybody is, is chasing something like that. And let me tell you, that comparative concept of living is a lie of the whisperer. Last week, we looked at the whisper that said, you are what you do. That's how you become one who gets applause. This week we're saying the lie is that you must compare yourself to yourself or to others in order to validate who you are. And even as believers in Christ, we can make that mistake. We can have jealousy and envy toward others, toward the things they have, toward what they do, or where they live. And it doesn't necessarily start when we get older, does it? It can start younger in life. And here's the problem. If you're comparing yourself to yourself, if you're saying, well, the message I preached last week, I need to do better this week than that. Well, 
there's no way to measure those two. That's up to God. Up to me being obedient and preparation, but up to God to decide how he's going to use it. So it's foolish. And if I'm comparing myself to someone else, God has designed their life in a particular way. Every one of your lives in here are designed by God. And he works it around with you, allowing you freedom of choice. But he's still going to get you to end up where he wants you to be if you're obedient to him. So your life is not my life. And if I'm comparing my life to your life, I'm wasting my destiny. I'm on a treadmill going nowhere. And that's why God wants us to quit listening to those whispers. The Bible says, when you start comparing, you lack wisdom. And the word of God is clear. The only one to whom we are compare ourselves is Jesus Christ. Now, you know right off the bat, I don't measure up to Christ. You don't measure up to Christ. But here's the coolest thing. God said that he has determined in his perfect will that he's going to conform us, change us, so that we become like his son, Jesus Christ. So I don't have to strive to be like him. God's going to bring me along to be like him. I simply have to be obedient. So if I'm going to compare my life at all to anyone, I need to look at the life of Jesus Christ. That's why I have to open the Word of God. I need to hear how Christ made choices. I need in my own mind to see the things that Christ was doing so that I can figure out how do I do that? Because he made promises that we would do things, great things, if we were followers of his. Look at what the Apostle Paul says in writing to the believers in Corinth in his second letter to them. He says, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. We, however will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us, a sphere that also includes you. We are not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we would not come to you, for we did, not get, we did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. So what's Paul saying? I think it's interesting that he has taken that phrase we used last week where he says we will confine our boasting to the sphere of service. If you were here or if you watched the service from last week, I told you that there is a sphere in which God has placed each of us. And my sphere is different than your sphere. And inside that sphere, we have been given tasks to accomplish. And we have been given the gifts to accomplish those tasks. Now, what's the end result of the gifts and the task in that sphere? It's to make me, to make you, look like Jesus Christ. To have this character of Christ, this attitude of Christ as you live. And that's why our boasting is in Christ. It's what Christ accomplishes. So I I may do something out of obedience, but I have no right to boast that I did it. I was obedient. Obedience doesn't deserve reward because obedience 
It's simply the way we should live. Our reward comes from becoming more and more like Christ. We share Christ in common. So you and I, each one of us, is striving to be more like him. The Lord loves you. He doesn't compare you with other people. He doesn't compare any more than I compare my children. I have three daughters. I don't compare them one to another. They are three different individuals with three different spheres of life. They have been tasked to do things for God, and each one of them has different gifts. And they differ from their mother and me. But I love them. And there's nothing they can do to increase my love for them. And there's nothing they can do to cause my love to go away. That's a reflection of the Father who loves us more than I love them. So when he says, I want you to be like my son Jesus Christ and I'll help you get there, what greater comparison in life could you desire? There's just not one. So it's time to stop gazing at other people. It's time to quit wishing that you had this or were this or could do this. It's time to set a new goal. John Wesley, the great evangelist and hymn writer, said this, Lord, make me an extraordinary Christian. Now, if you break that compound word apart, it sounds like this, make me an extraordinary Christian. I don't want to be an ordinary Christian. I don't want to be one that shows up at church on Sunday, listens, goes out, lives life the way I want to live it, and comes back next Sunday. I want to be one that is an extraordinary Christian, not to be honored by man, but that when God looks at me, he's going to see that I am striving to walk the walk. I'm still making bad choices. I'm still sinful sometimes in my thoughts and in my actions. And I seek forgiveness, and God grants that forgiveness because he's fashioning me more and more. And he doesn't want you to live a life gazing in a wrong direction because you'll never end up where you would like to be unless that destination is Christ. Jesus, in many of his parables, uh, teaches great lessons. In one of them, in Luke chapter 18, he's talking to the disciples, and he's sharing a parable about two people who come to give. Listen to this. To some who were confident of their own righteousness, Jesus is talking. They looked down on everyone else, so Jesus said this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, the other, a tax collector. Now, remember, the Pharisee is the one who is brilliant. He's got the law. He knows the tablets. He knows the Talmud. He's got everything down in the Jewish religion. He, he is really a legalist. The tax collector is one who is hated by the Pharisee. He's one that nobody likes. Some things haven't changed. And so Jesus is addressing this. Verse 11, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you 
that I'm not like other people. What's that in comparison? Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now here's Jesus' conclusion. I tell you that this man, meaning the tax collector, rather than the other, the Pharisee, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The Pharisee suffered from what I call the sin of staring and comparing. And I've done that, haven't you? And we still do. When I see that sports car go by me, you know, oh, that's a nice car. I wish I had that car. And then my wife will say something like, do you know how much parts are for that car? (laughs) Quit being wise, woman. (laughs) But how often we do that. We, We think there's something else we can add to our lives that someone else has, and that'll make our lives better. Now, there's nothing wrong with owning a sports car. There's nothing wrong with having nice things. What's wrong is if your pursuit of those is because you want to be like someone else. God will stop you from comparing. He actually started it very early in my life, and it's, it's really a funny time for me. I was the baby of three. My sister's four years older and my brother's six years older. Well, when my brother was a senior in high school, I was in the sixth grade. And he was some kind of state champion on the clarinet. He was also a good baseball player, but I mean, the clarinet was really his thing. And so in the sixth grade, the band director came to me and said, why don't you join the band, play the clarinet? Okay. My brother's name was Richard, but I never called him that. I tried to call him brother when I was young, but it came out Bubba, which is a good Southern expression anyway. So I called him Bubba, and I wanted to be like Bubba. So I played the clarinet in the sixth grade. In the seventh grade, the band director came to me. He said, I have a wonderful opportunity for you. I said, what's that? He said, I want you to be in the marching band, the young one now, but you'll be in the high school one, just like your brother. I said, well, that, that sounds interesting and good. He said, but I'd like for you to play the cymbals. <laughs> that, that's really a subtle way, isn't it, of saying, you're not Bubba. You're never going to be like Bubba. And so I went out for football. <laughs> and I played football and basketball, and I had a great time. But I was never like Bubba. I called him last night because he's a graduate of the University of Georgia. And he answered the phone. He said, don't say one word. I recorded it. If you say anything, I'll, I'll just disown you. Goodbye. And he hung up. <laughs> I was so tempted to text him, you know, Georgia won. <laughs> so who's your Bubba? Who, it is, who is it that has had this influence on you that you really want to be like them? Now, it may be something like if I were like him, 
there would be some very positives to that because he's a wonderful man of God and he's a very bright man of God and he served the Lord all of his life he's a good husband a wonderful dad great grandfather I mean all of those things I want to emulate those but I want to do it in my own terms with God's design for me not for him that's what God is saying to you this morning don't listen to the whisperer who's saying to you well you're not valid yet because you're not like so and so it starts in childhood where we say well all the other kids are doing this so our kids need to do this or they come home and say well I need a new pair of shoes because Johnny has these shoes and I want to be like Johnny and we reinforce it through peer pressure take care in raising your children to keep before them the image of Jesus Christ that one standard of comparison teach your children if you want to be like anybody be like Jesus now if I'm like Jesus emulate some of the things about me but don't be like me because I'm not Jesus and Jesus wants you to be like him why because he humbled himself see that's the key he created us and then became that which he created unthinkable doesn't make sense at all that the the creator of the universe would become a man Neither does it make any sense that the innocent man who is God would pay for the price of those who sinned against him. Doesn't make sense. But that's exactly what he did. And with that walk on this earth of perfect obedience to the Father, he died that death on the cross. But he rose again. And he put death to death. And he sits now at the right hand of the Father, and he's coming again for us. So the Father looks at you, he looks at me, and he puts beside me his Son. Now, there's no doubt that the glory of that Son outshines this guy. But there's so much love here that his righteousness has been placed on me his glory has been placed in me and now I am on that journey with the gifts necessary to accomplish the task in my sphere to become like Christ so that in that day when I see him I will know him and I will see him as he is so my pursuit is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things that Bubba owns, I'll have. See, that's, that's the way God wants it to go. Now, the problem is that God is working with humans who are sinful. It's not easy for us to accomplish what I just said. Only through the power of the Holy Spirit will you gain the traction you need to accomplish what God's called you to accomplish. And Christ is the only one worth it. I mean, think about it. He provides, he heals, he delivers, he comes when you call him, 
He's everything you need. He is the answer to every question you have. And he has revealed himself in the scriptures so that we will know who he is. Some have said that humility overcomes whispers. It's hard to be humbled, but it's necessary from time to time. And God usually uses that which is already in your life to humble you away from the whisper of comparison and to draw you back into a solid relationship with himself. I had been a believer for six and a half years when I was called into a ministry in Livonia, Michigan to be the minister of evangelism in a large church. And back then, the rule of thumb was that when you joined that staff, you were installed into the office. And that meant that you were the guinea pig for the night. Everybody got up and said things about what you were supposed to be doing. And one of those who gave what's called the charge to the pastor gave the charge to me. Now, I had some wonderful mentors in that six and a half years. The pastor who led me to the Lord, a couple of wonderful professors in seminary, my own brother. But then I had a very special mentor, someone I built a close relationship with over a number of years, and I learned so much about the Christian faith because I was coming from knowing nothing to all of a sudden, I'm a pastor who knows very little. But God was patient and God had a plan. Well, the pastor who got up to instruct me called the charge to the pastor. He said, right off the bat, you are not like your mentor. You'll never be like your mentor. Don't try to be like your mentor. And I mean, I'm just sinking deeper and deeper down because I'm realizing I can never be him. I don't want to be him, but it was a good reminder. Obviously, I still remember it. I can still see him standing there saying, don't be him. You be who God's called you to be. And it it settled me down. Now, you people who are jealous, you people who follow the social media gurus, you see a family picture. I've seen this before where... Have you seen some of those pictures that that come up and it's the family and they all have on the same color pants and the same color tops and their hair is perfect and they're on a beach and and you look at that and you say, our family should do that. And and so you go out to the local sandlot and you're going to put in some beach behind it on uh, being able to Photoshop it and everybody puts on white slacks and blue tops and the baby throws up right? You've been there. You know what that proves? That proves that we are all broken. We are all in pain. We're all fallen. Every single one of us in here falls short of the glory of God. But God, in his amazing love to us, He thought it not robbery to be equal, but Jesus humbled himself and became a man. I want my eyes to be on him. You know, keep your eyes 
upon Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Stop listening to the whispers. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up on the platform now. See, I think the whisper says, you got to be like Bubba. The whisper says, you need to be the GOAT. You know what I'm talking about there? That's the new acronym that's been going around for a while, the greatest of all time, G-O-A-T. Need to be the GOAT. The biggest argument recently was, who is the GOAT in football? Is it Tom Brady who is the quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, seven rings for Super Bowls. He's 45 years old. Some say he is the goat. Some say he's not. Well, I want to tell you about a goat, but I dare not call him a goat because he's the shepherd of the sheep. He is the greatest of all time. No one has ever lived the life of Jesus Christ. He's the shepherd of the flock, and we are the flock. And he loves us so much. And he puts up with us so much. And I'm so thankful for that. He's molding you and me into his image. One day, every one of us in here will pass away. That's a euphemism for our bodies will die. But our spirit and soul will continue. We'll be ushered into the presence of the great shepherd. Now here's my question for you. Will his invitation for you to come in to enter eternity, will it be qualified by someone else's life? Will he look at you and say, well, you almost made it, but George... You know, he, he outdid you. <laughs> you know, it will be qualified by someone's life. It's the life of Christ who gave his life for you. And so you know the answer, yes. Because my life is hidden in him, in Jesus Christ. Not based on my endeavors, but based on my relationship with the king of kings. In other words, when I stand before him that day, I don't think he's going to say to me, you weren't as good as Bubba. He's going to say, welcome, because of what Jesus Christ has done. I wish that for everyone in here. Pursue him. Be like Christ. Let's pray. Lord, We need your help to be like you. We need to be broken in the areas of pride, areas where we are comparing ourselves to others and sometimes even to ourselves. Lord, be gentle with us, love us and forgive us, and then help us to be like your son in whom we live and move and have our being. We pray this. In his name, amen. Today we're going to celebrate communion because without the punishment that Christ took, we would have no salvation. Without the blood that he shed, our sins 
would not be forgiven. On the evening he met with the disciples, he said, this is my body which is for you. Take and eat. Now in the presence of that, the Apostle Paul tells us that we should examine our own lives. That if there's any sin in our lives, let's confess those sins. So take a moment now to confess your sins and we will partake together. This is the body of Christ which is given for you. Take and eat. And though our sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow because of the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ. Let us drink together. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and continue to worship the Lord.